we talk a lot about, you mentioned clicks earlier, and there are many examples mm. like that. We talk a lot about these brands that have had mishaps that seem to be tone deaf or at least unaware of what's happening around them and with their consumers. And there are countless examples of those yep. types of brands. Are we yep. celebrating the right brands enough in order to grow and develop that behavior that we so desire as humanity? Very, very good question. I think we're still in the phase of celebrating brands that represent our humor, that represent our quirks, that represent our nuances, that represent our daily chaos and our daily, you know, celebrations and our daily moments as South Africans. I think we're still, we're still in that stage of things. Welcome to The Lead Creative, where we talk to the creative minds behind some of the leading brands, businesses, organizations, and top ideas that we all love. Our chats range from building brands, conceptualizing new products, strategy, and building businesses. I'm your host, Monge Zimtati. Diversity is one of the most important issues across many industries. This ranges from having diverse teams that can influence strategy, which in turn leads to brands becoming more conscious of the content they put out there. Soul Providers Collective is one of the creative and digital agencies with diversity and collaboration at its core. Joining us on The Lead Creative today is Sarah Jane Bowden, known as SJ to many. She has over 22 years experience in marketing and communications. This spans from working on pan-African and global brands in the UK and Europe. SJ is the founder of Boutique Digital and Creative Agency Soul Providers, which started in 2011. She is also the co-founder of branding and design agency Sukechi. She has also worked on brands like Decathlon, MTV, Standard Bank, the Nelson Mandela Children's Hospital, and many others. SJ, thank you for making time to join us today. Hey, Mongezi, thank you so much for inviting me on your series, which looks to be really, really exciting. Thanks for the glowing intro, by the way. I'm feeling quite old just listening to it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I think you just you've done uh, you've done a lot in a very short space, which is very inspiring. Thanks, Mongezi. I remember the first time we spoke was in 2009 when you were running represent.co.za as a blog that showcases and celebrates entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial talent really in Africa and beyond. I think, if I'm not mistaken, you were in the UK at the time or you were based there. How did that time of running represent and showcasing talent across the African continent contribute to the digitally-minded agency that Soul Providers is today? Wow, Mongezi. First of all, your memory is amazing. <laughs> so so I, I started Represent when I was a creative director in the experiential marketing industry uh, in 2004. And I had been kind of going around and you know, I, I was very curious. I'm a very curious person by nature. And I think being a creative director, that's one of one of the tenets that we really need to, to do, you know, impactful work. And a friend of mine came to visit from, from overseas and I took him all over downtown Joburg. And at that stage, the, the, the city 
it was only 10 years um, post-democracy and the city was starting to be rejuvenated. Businesses, you know, your established businesses were moving back into the city. We were having lots of parties downtown. And I felt that there was space for content that would bring different people together. And my friend said to me, why don't you start somewhere online where you can start to archive all these little things that you know about the city and the people of Joburg? And so my poor suffering husband, who happens to be a coder, created some software for me that that allowed me to publish a post every day. Actually, I think he created WordPress, but he just didn't know it. And then <laughs> after, after a few years, WordPress came along. And of course, then we were able to jump onto a platform like that and get the blog going. This is during a time of, you know, Black Rage Productions, Rage.co.za, Joburg Live. Now we're showing our age. And it was really a time of change in South Africa where cultures yes, were, yeah. were starting to get to know each other, you know, and start mm-hmm. to spend time together. Mm-hmm. The blog represent was absolutely foundational to Soul Providers Collective because it kind of gave me the basis from where I could build a content agency. That's amazing. It did a lot to, I think, showcase and document, you know, talent online and showcase it in a time when there wasn't a lot of it, at least to see online. Yeah, and I guess that was one of the founding uh, reasons for Soul Providers Collective, as well as Represent, was that there was such a lack of representation online, especially of Black South Africans. And I just, I was frustrated with that. Um, And I wanted to be a part of telling stories and bringing narratives and images and visuals of our cities and our people and our places online. I was very inspired by the other platforms, like I say, that were doing it at the same time as well. The PRISM Awards and the Lewis have had the honor of having you as a judge a couple of times, (laughs) as a matter of fact. Looking back at the submissions, SJ, that you had to sift through at the time and the work Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. out there today, would you say we are making strides in being more inclusive in the creative work that we put out there? Sure. So I'm very um, honored to be a Louis judge again this year. There's definitely been a shift. I actually, um, you you mentioned just now that I was living overseas. I actually had a gap in my career where I lived in Europe and worked there for a couple of years. So I judged the Louis prior to that. And then I've been judging them again for the last four, four, five years and definitely have seen massive, massive improvement. However, if we look at what's happening on, online today with the clicks debacle, there is still huge room for improvement um, because we just, we need to bake this. We need to wire this. We need to wire representation and, and it's not even diversity because actually we, we're in South Africa. We yes. need to wire this thinking into yeah. every single part of the business and the value chain in marketing and advertising. So there's a long way to go. So just for people who haven't seen it, what is this clicks debacle that you refer to? Which So, kind of- yes, yeah, so there is a tweet that uh, was sent out. Um, I think it was sent out either last night or early this morning um, with two images of the clicks, which is a retail giant, we can call it, FMCG giant in South Africa, of the hair, uh, hair care products uh, from clicks, which had visuals of four different hairstyles and language copy 
over the hairstyles and the language, the copy on the hairstyles, which would be associated with black hair, was extremely hurtful and painful. And, And a consumer put these photos online and the tweet went absolutely crazily viral. Texas has since apologized this morning, but if we look at the apology, you know, we've seen it before. It's getting old. It's getting boring. And this talks to the kind of radical shift that we need to take to ensure that we just don't make these kind of hurtful mistakes any longer. This is interesting. And this, I, I think this takes me to the next thing that uh, the Soul Providers Collective is about. And we'll come back to, to how, how and why brands get it wrong so many times. I mean, it comes mm. up so much in these conversations. Mm. I mean, in the past, mm. you know, in the past few conversations that we've had, it comes up time and time again that brands just get it wrong and brands just get it wrong. But there's so much mm-hmm. data, so much being communicated, which is astounding. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for us to still be getting this wrong speaks for me to systemic issues. And, you know, when actually I had a conversation with some some fellow marketers this morning about it. And, you know, where we landed was you, you need to look at the entire value chain of how business operates in the marketing and advertising space. So you yeah. start at the top and you're going, who is the head of marketing in an organization? Yes. Do they understand the consumer? Do they represent the consumer? And Mm. do they procure agencies that represent and understand the consumer? And I think that's where the problem starts. If you take it down another level, then you hit the agency itself. Yeah. Has your agency got strategists, creatives, writers, and thinkers who understand each other, our consumers. Who's the majority consumer in South Africa, you know? And do we have people that represent the majority of South Africans? Or do we have people who do not represent, like let's give a simple example that's maybe not race-based. Let's look at gender. Do you have men writing copy for women's Body body products, yeah. 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 Do you have men writing that copy? Surely there's going to be a gap there. Surely Mm. there's going to be errors in in how women are put across and how women are spoken to and communicated with. So now if you jump to race, do you have white people writing about copy for black people's hair? Why do we still have that situation in place when there's so much talent available to Mm. speak on behalf of the majority of consumers? So this is a this is a touchy subject. It is, it is, it is. And and I mean, to your point, it's not, I think sometimes we look at it from different lenses. The one lens is diversity, the other lens is obviously transformation, but in actual fact, it's in some instances simpler than that. It's just representation. Other people you're talking to represented in your strategy and your communication. Yeah, and I think I think it comes, it also looks at, you know, transformation of the industry itself and transformation of decision makers and moving away from a status quo situation, which is completely outdated and almost irrelevant, you know. So how does one, you know, it's getting, like I said, it's getting old, it's getting boring. We're 25 plus years into the new dispensation, and we're seeing that actually fundamentally and systemically, a lot has not changed. 
So how do we accelerate that? And I think maybe if you see the incredible mushrooming of, you know, black-owned, black-founded agencies, we're starting to see this kind of reaction potentially to the situation where people are going, actually, you know what? We're just going to start our own thing and represent yes. ourselves. Yes. Thank you very True. much. True. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Three years ago, you and the team reimagined the course of the business where the decision was to specialize in conscious content. At least yeah. that's what you termed it as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Soul Providers Collective. Can you talk us through what conscious content is and how it's changed your approach to client work? So I think we've always practiced conscious content. As I explained, the foundation of our agency was about trying to bridge gaps between people and to bring people closer. However, talking of the status quo, sometimes we need to to make these things clearer um, in order for us to attract the kind of clients that we really wish to work with. And we're looking for clients who are not making these kind of basic errors when it comes to communicating and and marketing in Africa and in South Africa specifically. We're looking for clients that are conscious that we need to change and we need to accelerate change and we need to accelerate transformation. So by coining the term, it helped us to really understand what's at the heart of our purpose as an agency and what's at the heart of the kind of work we're trying to put out there, which means it's conscious of the environment it's conscious of the humans that it's talking to and that it's trying to sell stuff to. I mean, that's basically our job, right? So it's being aware of all of these different elements and points and nodes that one has to consider when you're putting a piece of a simple photograph or a simple web page together. You tackle complex and difficult conversations with clients, you know, who's, who's, uh, who's, work depends or whose work depends on your livelihood or whose livelihood your work depends on kind of thing right Mm. so how do you were you guys not not nervous about the (laughs) clapback that you get from clients (laughs) or the types of clients that you could potentially lose as a result so you know i guess mongezi the fact that i am a woman founder first of all has meant that from the beginning I've been an outsider in the boys club, you know, and, 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 and I will say that unapologetically, that's the truth of the matter. Yeah. I am, however, white and I'm privileged. And so I did have a lot of contacts and I had a lot of experience in the industry um, as it was tra- um, transforming. And at some point, actually, I know exactly when it was, it was 2015 um, when the Penny Sparrow um, incident happened that I think it was the December, January into 2016, I realized that my own values, my own personal values, which are very much um, rooted in anti-racism, needed to become the values of the business overtly. And Mm. I realized that I needed to find the courage and the strength to stand up and speak up, regardless of what the knock-on effects would be. And I won't go into details, but th- but obviously when you when you choose to stand up like that, imagine on a platform like LinkedIn and, and speak up or speak out, even on Twitter, of course there was pushback. Of course there was there was some you know punishment in some senses. However, businesses are also grown on relationships. 
And I was very fortunate to have clients that recognized what we were doing and to have clients who, who, and, and, and people who became clients, let's say, who were so happy and excited to see firstly a woman-led agency, secondly, an agency that represented demographically the young talent in South Africa and really actually tried to promote as much as possible and accelerate the transformation of our industry. So we actually attracted the right clients. And some of our clients have been with us, we're nearly 10 years old, some of our clients have been with us for nine years. So there was a meeting of minds. And quite frankly, we wouldn't want to work with brand managers or marketers who don't get it. So I guess it's about being unapologetic about your values and bringing those into your business, which is risky, but it's paid off for us. That's interesting. And it's interesting that you say it attracts the, the right, you start attracting the right clients, the kinds of clients that you kind, that you want to, to work with, and some of them stay because your values mirror their own. Yeah, they were aligned. Our values were aligned. And also, you know, sometimes that would be maybe in a bigger organization, that would be just one person who recognized the greater, the greater role that doing conscious content plays in not only selling a product, but building your community and growing the relationship with your consumers. So we were just very lucky to attract like-minded clients. It's absolutely beautiful. Are there any brands out there that whose strategy fit into this coining of this conscious content that you that you speak to? I think there are many brands that fit into it. I mean, every year in January, the team, we say to the team, you know, write your list of the brands we'd love to work with and let's go try get them. You know, that's a very, very unsuccessful way of, of getting business, by the way. But there are brands that we aspire to work with and then there are people we aspire to work with. Unfortunately, as we know, transformation, diversity, inclusion is all systemic at the end yes. of the day. Yeah. So you yeah. may have a brand, man, a brand that looks and appears to be incredibly, you know, I don't want to use the word woke, but, you know, future-minded and, and inclusive and representative, et cetera. Yes. Yes. However, if, if the business it's working in is not applying the same principles that will show up at some point and you will see through. So to my earlier point, if you're not procuring agencies that are transformed, diverse and inclusive, if you're yeah. not uh, ensuring that those agencies have team members who also think in the same way, there's going to be a piece of content that's going to come up and show that actually this was just more window dressing. Whitewashing. So yes, there's many, many brands we'd love to work on. But I think it's more about actually looking for those brand managers, those marketing managers, and those humans that we can connect with and do amazing, powerful, transformative, restorative, regenerative work with. Another question, um, SJ, I think, I mean, we talk a lot about, you mentioned clicks earlier, and there are many examples mm. Um, mm. like that. We talk a lot about these brands that have had mishaps that seem to be tone deaf or at least unaware of what's happening around them and with their consumers. And there are countless examples of those yep. types of brands. Are we yep. celebrating the right brands enough in order to get that behave, to grow and develop that behavior that we so desire as humanity and as an That's industry? A very, 
Very, very good question. I think we're still in the phase of celebrating brands that represent our humor, that represent our quirks, that represent our nuances, that represent our daily chaos and our daily, you know, celebrations and our daily moments as South Africans. I think we still, we're still in that stage of things. We're still kind of maybe still surprised that <laughs> that we all, you know, we're in this democracy and we're all still getting to know each other, etc. I yes. think there's a lot more work to be done. And we're starting to see that overseas. And maybe something you could do, Mongezi. We're starting to see actual platforms that are measuring brands and organizations based on inclusivity, on yeah. anti-racism, on diversity, on equality, you know, and not just social involvement, but actual standpoints and values and standing up and driving systemic change um, in their organizations and, and through their brands. So in order we are starting to see it, but it's not official, if you know what I mean. We need to, I believe that there's now an opportunity for us to start documenting who those brands exactly. are and yeah. celebrating who those brand managers are and yes. celebrating the thinkers, the critical thinkers that are bringing that kind of work to the fore. Are platforms like the Louis, which you are which you are judging once again this year, not also a part of it, or can they not be part of encouraging this behavior or celebrating, not even encouraging, just celebrating the kinds of behavior that we want to see as society, as an industry? Because, because once again, I mean, one of the things that in as much as we want brands to be more, more sort of human-centered. A lot of the time, it's also about what counts for the bottom line, right? In terms of the growth, mm-hmm. in terms of the development mm-hmm. of the brand, which is also why they're in business. And I don't blame any brand for that necessarily. But in terms of celebrating this, are platforms that brands are celebrated on and agencies not also a part of this change that we so look forward to? If you're enjoying The Lead Creative, please take a moment to share this episode with your network. Please hit subscribe or follow this podcast to get our latest episodes. Enjoy the show. So, I mean, there's two things there I'd love to respond to. So firstly, your comments on bottom line. You know, I think we need to take it a step back from there and really take cognizance of the background that we're operating in. We're operating in a country where there's a middle class of between 20 and 30%. And let's say 20 probably post-corona because you're Mm. going to find a lot of people have dropped out of the middle class in the last six months because they were hanging on by their nails anyway. So we're operating in a country that is absolutely crippled by inequality. Now, what, what makes sense for a country to move forward when you're sitting in that kind of economic backdrop. What makes sense is to try and bring more and more of our population into the middle class to generate more, a healthier and stronger economy. So if a business is operating on the basis that they're only considering 10%, 20%, 30% of the population in the kind of products they're producing and the kind of work they're producing, that's not going to help their bottom line. 
you know, if you want to grow your business, you need to think about the whole South African population and you need to think about how are we going to, to tap into this massive opportunity to, to grow opportunities, to grow wealth, to grow economic, um, you know, opportunities for the 70% of people who are not sitting in the middle class. So for me, I find the idea that uh, businesses are not thinking like that confusing in, in some instances because there's such massive opportunity um, if, we, if we look at inequality and driving it down. Mm. The second part of your question, I'm going to refer specifically to the Lurie's, is that's the, the organization that, that I'm associated with in mm. terms of being a judge, um, yes. in advertising specifically. Yes. Actually, you, you've seen that that we that the Luris has a new leader, Pritesh. And yes. if you if you have a look at what Pritesh has managed to achieve just under lockdown in the last six months, in terms of representation and inclusion, and how how he has taken the brand and completely taken it on a fresh course, actually, I'd say we're seeing some of it, the most rapid transformation in the Luris recently. Prior to that. Yes, it has transformed, but, you know, often these kinds of awards models are built on, 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 on other systems, you know, and yes, it's about yeah. agencies entering, you know, and it's about brands in terms of which agency gets the most awards. And, you know, the, the, the model of the Luris is still feeding into the global agency model. And yes. the more we see local agencies starting to actually get recognized and awarded, I think that's when we'll start to see the systemic change happening. As an industry, can we advocate for positive societal change from a brand and communication perspective? We have to. I mean, that's our duty. How hmm. are we going to grow our businesses? How are we going to grow our people? How are we going to help our clients get more market share and increase their businesses and grow their bottom lines. How are we going to do that? We have to be committed to transformation. We have to be committed to inclusion and representation. It's it's the only it's the it's not only the right thing to do, it's the only thing to do. Yes. And I think, you know, in some ways that's been that's been a conversation that's been happening, you know, commitment to transformation and inclusion and diversity. That's been yes. a, a conversation that's been happening you know, let's say for probably the last 10, 10 12 years, you, you know, the lifespan of since represent and sole providers. Yeah. I've seen yeah. massive change um, mm. um, over that time. However, I think that we need to accelerate that and we need to move beyond this kind of place where we're still thinking about it all the time. You know, it, it needs to become the new normal. It needs to just step over that line now and settle in. And we need to let go of the, 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 the old way of thinking and the old way of working. And people who are not prepared to do that will, will find it very difficult in the industry, you know, because we need to move forward and we need to let go of the past. We really do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you there. How has being a consciously diverse team changed the way you approach creative work as uh, as sole providers, the strategy and the kinds of pitches that you submit for. 
So what I love about our team is that we're not only, you know, demographically representative of and always have been from, from early days, um, from and consciously so, from a South African point of view, but we actually have quite a pan-African representation. And that's quite exciting. In, and I mean, we're a medium-sized agency. So, you know, we move between 25 and 30 um, team members, and then we, we work with lots of freelancers and contractors. And within our team, we have, you know, a creative director who, who's from Rwanda. We have an editor who's Zambian. Um, we have community managers who are French-speaking Congolese. We've also got access to, to Kenyan and Nigerian content creators, etc. So it's, for me, it's a bigger vision than just having a team that represents South Africa uh, and South Africans. To answer your question, when that manifests, how does it impact uh, our work? Well, in my, my humble or my honest opinion, um, it gives us a clear advantage. And mm. just in terms of the process of working, you know, yes. we're not sitting going, phone, phone someone and, and see what they would say or <laughs> Can we get uh, can we get a, a strategist that understands this target market into the room? We don't need to do that. It's baked into how our business has been built. So that takes that off the table, and so we're Im- immediately able to move into the research and into deep, meaningful insights that can then drive the thinking and the creative ideas that come off of that. And so we have to be unapologetic about that, and we are. And so we will produce a a strategy or a pitch document that we feel proud of and that we feel is on point and represents our values and our worldview. And in many cases, it's won us the job and and we're really excited about that. In other cases, it may be too future forward for that brand manager or it may be moving a bit too quickly for them and we haven't got the job or there's other teams who've who've got better ideas or, or, you know, better equipped or better relationships. Where it's been useful has been when those minds meet, you know, when our work meets the mindset of yes. the brand manager that's looking yeah. at it. And then it's just been incredible. And I think because it's so unique and unique is, is, is probably one of those words that's overused, but because it's so distinct, the kind of pitch documents that you produce because of the deep insights that you refer to, it separates you so much from everybody else who hasn't got those deep insights that it's either you or nothing, right? It makes it very clear. It draws a very clear line. Yes, (laughs) it does. And I mean, even, I mean, just talking to me today, I I think if you're going to, if you're going to be true to your values, you have to live them, you know, and you can't be window dressing or be wishy-washy about it. You need to live them throughout everything that you practice within the organization. Um, That said, Sometimes we may get it wrong, you know, creatively. We might not hit the mark in terms of what they were hoping for. But then again, often, and I mean, maybe this is a bit spicy, but many pitches are already decided before you even submit your work. And I'm yeah. sure my, my fellow agency owners and, and CEOs will, will be nodding their heads at that point. So yeah. if you want to disrupt what might already be lying, you know, waiting to fall into into place, you need to come with something that's going to catch the attention and the eye of the people in the room who go, actually, I know we usually work with so-and-so, but I'm loving what these guys are bringing to the party. On that spicy note, SJ, mm. in closing, 
how can brands and creative teams start on their journey towards more diverse and more inclusive thinking? Sure. I mean, they shouldn't be starting. They should be way along the line. Do you think that people are still starting to think like this? I wouldn't say that exactly. I think that, again, given the how the conversation started, given that so many brands and a lot of us uh, mm. get it so wrong so many times. I mean, that example you cited without mentioning mm. the brand again, mm. because because mm. it's because it's not unique to them. That example mm. you, you cited goes into mm. the brand, it goes into the product, it goes into the fact that the product was created a certain way and the messaging was created a particular way. So it goes farther down the value chain that by the time that picture comes up on social media and becomes viral, you ask yourself whether there is, you know, whether there is deep insight and knowledge into, into the market, into inclusivity, into diversity across the board. Sure. Okay. Sorry. I, I understand now. So, you know, I mentioned, I did mention earlier, I think it's a systemic issue. And when I say that systemic means it's wired into how things have been structured and built. It's structural. So if you're going to start to do the work of trying to shift that, you're going to need to begin right at the top. Sure. So if if you have a management leadership team in a in a let's say in a corporation who isn't yet undergoing transformation, you know, thinking and workshops and strategies, you're going to find that that trickles down throughout the organization. And I mean, these are very big questions that, in, in some ways that we're tackling here. Yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm currently studying, actually, I'm doing my MA in um, critical diversity. And one of the things that I've learned at WITS is that you need to do the work with the, the decision makers right at the top. And unfortunately, in South Africa, if you look at who those decision makers are, Firstly, you're going to find that a lot of those decision makers are still men, A, and we know this. This is why we have Women's Month and initiatives like all these uh, webinars and podcasts with women. You know, we have the gender mainstreaming awards that happened yesterday. So first of all, you have the gender issue. And then, of course, you have the race issue. If those decision makers are resisting transformation and change, that's going to trickle down through the entire organization. So what does that mean? For me, it speaks to if us taking a step even further back to go, do we understand the opportunity that I mentioned earlier that exists in South Africa when we yeah. start to think differently about our people and how our society is made up? Are we operating from a place of abundance? I remember in the early, early years of, of Soul Providers, you know, that sometimes you get these tricky situations that come along and you, you tend to react with a scarcity mentality, which is really going, oh, there's only enough for us on this planet, mm, you know? Mm, mm. And the yeah, opposite of yeah. scarcity is abundance. And I remember coming across it and, and, and deciding we will be an abundant-minded agency, which means there's more than enough for everybody and we can keep creating more opportunities. So if you're dealing with <clears throat> a leadership team, who are, are operating from a, scare, a place of scarcity. And if, and if you look at where, where, where fear of change comes from, it's often about that. It's often about people going, oh, 
I'm afraid of losing what I perceive to have gained through my own hard work and talent. We need to first tackle those issues right at the top. And we need to get people on board and bring people along on the journey and paint that vision and paint the potential opportunity of abundance that happens when you start to realize, actually, the cake could be way bigger. It's only sitting at 20%. The cake could be 70%. I always say, imagine South Africa with a 70%, you know, 80% middle class. Mm, yes. yeah, yeah. We would be a freaking world power, you know. Yeah, but, but, but people are afraid to think like that. So people at the top of organizations are still not seeing the huge potential that exists when you start to let go of the old way of seeing the world and unlearn a lot of the things that we've learned along the way. So once that happens at the top, it starts to trickle down or hopefully flood down through the entire organization. But there's a lot of work to be done. And if decision makers are not representative of the majority consumers, the majority of the population, that's where the work needs to happen. And it's actually requires a rigorous, consistent, unlearning and relearning program. Second to that, the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about as I get more into diversity and inclusion work is that we need to not only think about what can we do going forward, we need to actually think about, and, and we're seeing a lot more of this, how can we fix the broken parts first? So how can we look at at the consumers that we're wanting to buy our products and help fix this highly unequal situation? How can we as an organization begin to be restorative, regenerative, put the well-being of the majority of South Africans in the center of our strategies? And once that starts to happen, the whole organization will start shift and change. And then you start to procure differently. You bring people along with you differently. And you're not just saying, you know, you're not tapping into people's fear of, of loss and fear of change. You, instead, you're providing an alternative and you're saying, guys, let's all help each other to join this, this piece of cake. Let's mm, make mm, the cake yeah, bigger. And yeah. we all stand to win. Nobody stands to lose. But unfortunately, the, the narrative of loss is a very, very strong one that drives resistance in people, resistance to change agencies to a local agency. Why? I'm scared that I might lose my job if, if, if they make a mistake. Meantime, that local agency is probably way better equipped to have these conversations online without making faux pas like the one we saw this morning. Sorry, absolutely. very long answer. Wow. No, no, it's, it's, it, it was, it was uh, absolutely needed and uh, very insightful. Thank you for that. Um, SJ, on that note, I would uh, like to thank you for joining us. It was an honor to have you. Um, really exciting conversation. I mean, I took uh, a lot out of that, like uh, making sure that the people you speak to are represented and that transformation will obviously attract the right kind of clients. And as you guys do, you know, as you and you as you do with your team, agitate for change and yes. inclusivity at all yes. costs. Yeah. Absolutely. It's the only way forward. Let's never forget that this didn't happen by mistake. We don't find ourselves in a broken society by mistake. It was very much engineered and driven 
you know, there was architecture that drove us to be a broken nation. So if we want to fix it, we need to be clear, unequivocal, purposeful, energized, and honest, and unapologetic. We need to all commit to fixing it as soon as we can, so that we can get to the more exciting place on the other side of that. So we need to stop resisting change and just get over the fear we have of talking about this stuff and broadcasting it even, and just say it, get it out the way, and let's start getting strategic and putting our plans in place to drive proper, real, you know, bottom-up, top-down, bottom-up transformation, systemic, structural transformation. Thank you for listening to The Lead Creative. Did you get one insight that's worth sharing from this episode? Please share it with a friend or anyone who might like it. Pop me some of your ideas and innovative finds on Twitter at Mongezi. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This podcast is also hosted on iafrican.com forward slash radio. You can find me and more of my content on mongezi.com. Mongezi.